We're going to be reading from John 21 today. We're going to read the first 19 verses of this. So John 21 says this, Afterwards, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. When going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said to him, we'll go with you. So they went out and got the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not recognize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed on the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And he said to him, follow me. Let's pray. Well, we pray, as always, that our focus be completely on you. We pray for our hearts and minds to be stilled, to be focused, to be receptive to what you have to share today. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. Hello again, everyone. My name is James, in case you don't know. I'm the pastor here, in case you don't know that. And for the last few weeks on the Sunday mornings, we've been asking, who is this man? Who is this man Jesus? Who is it that Jesus spends time with? What can we learn from the way that Jesus spends time with those people? And we've seen how Jesus is with his friends, and we've seen how 
Jesus is with his enemies, and we've seen how Jesus is with the powerless, and we've seen how Jesus is with the powerful. And I was really torn this week because I really wanted to preach about Jesus before Pilate because I think it's, it's a really fascinating interaction and it tells us a lot about power. And I think that's an interesting conversation to look at. Uh, but when I was praying for the sermon this week, which is something that I do, and asking God what I should share, the response was, tell them that I love them. Which is cool, but it's a bit ambiguous. <laughs> tell them that I love them. That's the answer I kept getting, tell them that I love them. Uh, but let's, let's be honest, if all you walk away from with Sunday morning is the truth that God loves you, then I think we as a community have done our jobs well. So it's not a terrible idea. I just didn't know what to do about it. Tell them that I love them. And, and whilst there are lots of fascinating things about that interaction between Pilate and Jesus, I don't think they necessarily lent themselves to sharing how much Jesus loves us. Uh, so I thought instead I would go back to the beginning by which I mean the beginning of my ministry <laughs> and the beginning of realizing what it looked like to believe that Jesus really loved me, really loves us. So some of y'all might think that sermons come naturally to me. I promise you that they do not. Uh, it's not a complaint, it's just a reality that I know that this is something I have to work very hard at. I have to put a lot of thought, I have to put a lot of prayer, I have to put a lot of effort into it, which is okay. The, the last church I worked at, uh, one lady who was so supportive and so lovely told me after a sermon once, James, you are just so natural up there. And I said, that's really kind of you, but it takes me 40 hours to look that natural for 30 minutes, just so you know. <laughs> And, and to be clear, this is something I learned the hard way, people. I really learned this the hard way. The first church I worked for, I was a youth pastor. That was 14 years ago now. Uh, and we had a youth-led service. And the youth were excited and passionate and brilliant and really wanted to be involved. And they had this youth-led service, and they'd ask me to speak at it sometimes. And when I first started speaking, I assumed I could just talk forever. Like, if you've met me one-on-one, -on -one, you'll know that I can talk forever. That's kind of my superpower is talking. <laughs> but it turns out, like, conversation is what I enjoy. I like listening to people far more than I like talking to people. And preaching is weird, because it's just me having a one-way conversation with 50 of you and not really getting anything back. Um, so feel free to, like, express yourselves so I know what's going on there. So my sermon prep 14 years ago involved writing four words on a piece of paper about 10 minutes before the service. And it, I, I say it was really bad, people. Uh, it turns out four words on a piece of paper is enough for me to talk for about three minutes. And it was three very, very painful minutes. Uh, when the only nice thing someone can say about your message is it was short, like that's... <laughs> And I got that compliment a lot. It's like, people are commenting on the length more than the substance. Uh, Albert always tells me the shorter the better. So, sorry, Albert. You still got another 20 minutes of me, buddy. There is, 
There is actually a cassette tape of one of these early sermons. If you are under 25, ask your parents what a cassette tape is. Uh, but it has one of my early sermons on it, and it was it's really awful. Like, I cannot stress how awful this thing is. I was trying to figure out a way that we could play some of it, but there's just there's some things you can't unsee, and I just didn't want you knowing. <laughs> That's what it was like. I don't think you could look at me the same. So after a few tries and a few failures, I realized I actually need to put some work into this. And the first sermon that I ever preached that I was even slightly happy with uh, was on Jesus's interaction with Peter at the beach. And I thought, let's let's go back there. I wonder I wonder what I would do differently. I want to be clear. I've been happy with one sermon in my entire life, just so we're clear. There's just ones I dislike more, and this isn't even the one I like, but I wanted to go back to it and see kind of what I do different, because I think if there is a passage that speaks to the way that Jesus loves us, this is one of them. So yeah, I thought I'd revisit that memory, revisit this message, revisit this sermon, and see what I do differently. And one of the things I would certainly do differently is give others an opportunity to listen to Jesus in the way that I didn't before. So that's that's going to come right at the end. I think one of the other things that we miss with John 21 is I think it's a punchline and we sometimes miss the setup. We have to understand the setup. We have to understand how we got here for this to be as impactful as it actually is. So let's think a bit more about the setup and then we'll spend a bit of time on the punchline. We know that Peter has walked closer to Jesus than anyone during his ministry. He's been told by Jesus, you are the rock on which I am going to build my church. Peter has definitely made plenty of mistakes along the way, but we kind of root for him despite those things. Uh, but Peter at the Last Supper promises Jesus, like, I'm, I'm going to get it right this time. I'm with you forever. And I know I've messed up in the past, but, but this time I'm going to get it right. Like I'm yours, and you're going to see it, and the world's going to see that I belong to you. I'm not going to run. I'm not going to hide. I'm going to die if I have to. I'll do whatever it takes, Jesus. And Jesus says, you think that, <laughs> but you're going to deny me louder than anyone. Uh, what follows is um, recorded in all the Gospels, but Luke's account says this. Then seizing Jesus, they led him away and took him to the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You're also one of them, one of the disciples. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him. Well, he's a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you are talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned 
and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the words the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today. You will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. In John's account, we actually hear Peter outright deny that he's one of Jesus' disciples. I, I wonder how, when we hear this passage, I wonder kind of what emotions it evokes in us. Because we know the punchline. We know John 21. We know that restoration that is to come. And I think it takes the agony out of the moment, and I think the agony of the moment is really important. Like Peter, this rock has shattered, right? He's denied his Lord three times. He is screaming at the people around him, I don't belong to him. I'm not one of Jesus' disciples. I don't even know who this guy is. And as he says it for the third time, and the rooster crows, and he realizes what he's done, Jesus looks at him. We're not told what kind of look Jesus gives Peter, and, and so we have to fill in the blanks. And if you are anything like me, you're filling in those blanks with the worst possible look that Jesus could give you. That worst possible version. And because I know I myself would be disappointed, I assume that Jesus is looking at Peter with disappointment. Or because I would be angry, I assume that Jesus is looking at Peter with anger. Or because, oh man, I love this one, because I would say, I told you so. I have to assume that Jesus is looking at Peter with that, like, I told you so, disappointed look on his face. And, and then we know that Peter weeps bitter tears. And, and so I've just assumed there must be some sort of cruelty in that look that Jesus gave Peter. There is this small issue, I think, is that that doesn't really line up with who Jesus has been or is or will be. What if that look that Jesus gives Peter in that moment isn't one of disappointment or anger or I told you so, but it's, a, it's, it's okay, I still love you. Because that that does seem a lot more like Jesus. It sure seems a lot more like Jesus in this moment. Jesus who uses what little strength he has to comfort his mother at the foot of the cross. The Jesus who uses what little strength he has, what little breath he has left in his busted body to say, Father, forgive them to the people that are torturing him. Instead, this look of, it's okay, Peter, I still love you. There's, there's nothing that can stop me from loving you. Surely you know that by now. And, and isn't that love unbearable sometimes? 
Like, tell me I messed up, Jesus. Tell me you'll abandon me, but don't tell me that you love me. If, if you've ever walked um, alongside, or maybe you've been um, someone, but if you've walked alongside someone who's really let someone they love down, you'll know that a forgiveness forged in love is by far the hardest thing to accept. Like, yeah, tell me you hate me. Tell me you're done with me. Tell me we're finished, but don't, don't forgive me. <laughs> don't love me. Don't tell me it's okay. That forgiveness forged in love is one of the hardest things to accept. And what's especially painful for Peter in this moment is that unlike some of those situations that I'm thinking of where uh, people have made mistakes but have been forgiven, uh, Jesus dies. (laughs) Peter just has to struggle with the fact that he never get a chance to take it back. And how, how, how hard must those days have been for him? Like, I think that love burns brighter and hotter than any hatred ever could. Tell them that I love them. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it gets into those pieces that I don't want to share, or you don't want to see all these things that I can't take back. Tell them that I love them. I remember... <laughs> watching a trailer for the movie God's Not Dead, which is not a movie I've seen, and if you haven't liked it, that's fine, but it's not for me, that's okay. And one of the guys from Duck Dynasty, who is not a theologian, but nevertheless has some things to offer apparently, says, well, if we deny him, he's going to deny us, which is this verse from 2 Timothy. The the problem is that that doesn't be what happens. (laughs) Like, if that was true, John 21, which we read at the start, would look very different, wouldn't it? like, you denied me. Like, how do you think this goes? Instead, we get to ask this question, who is this man who continues to love us despite everything we try to do to stop it? But if denying Jesus means he denies us, then this conversation in John 21 looks very different. Let me just read a piece from John 21 again. I'm going to jump a little bit. But then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it's the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he'd taken it off and he jumped into the water. A little bit later it says, when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. And the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And theologians love to argue about this passage because there's some interesting choices made with the Greek and everything. And and that was like the mic drop of my, my sermon like 13 years ago, by the way. Like, did you know the Greek changes everything? And it kind of does. But I don't care about that today because this is a message about telling you that Jesus loves you. And that's exactly what he shows Peter here. 
Like, Peter must have known this conversation was coming, right? Peter's denied Jesus, and Jesus died, and then Peter was never going to be able to make it up for him. But then Peter, <laughs> Jesus came back, and Peter has met him a couple of times, but we haven't, we haven't got to that difficult place. But Peter knew this conversation was coming. Jesus knew that Peter would deny him and said that Peter would deny him and he saw that Peter denied him. And again, if I put myself in Peter's shoes, I want to avoid this conversation. I want to do everything I can to not have that conversation that's going to hurt. I'd avoid it. I'd be fearful of what Jesus might have to say, how he's right, how I'm wrong, how I'm a failure. But there's something about Peter's response here that shows that he knows Jesus better than I do. As soon as he realizes it's Jesus, it is the Lord, as soon as he realizes it's Jesus, despite everything he got wrong, and he really got it wrong, he still knows the safest place that he can be is near to Jesus. He knows still that every time we run away from Jesus is that opportunity to run back to Jesus. And, and look at how gently Jesus handles this. Peter, for every time you get it wrong, I'm going to give you a chance to make it right. For every time you deny me, I'm going to let you share how much you love me. Tell them that I love them. This is, this, is, this is how much Jesus loves us. This is how unstoppable Jesus' love is. Uh, my friend Danielle tells this story. She had a sermon prepared for a conference. The, the conference was called Unstoppable. She was very excited about this and had this great message about how the only thing that can stop God loving you is you. Uh, and she was very excited about this. And as she was going up to the stage, she said, God said, that's a great message you've got here, there. And she's like, thank you, God. And then God said, it's a shame it's not true. <laughs> if you've ever prepared a sermon, there is this fear that maybe God will just tell you it's trash before you go up there, and then you have to come up with something on the spot. And then her sermon just became like, I'm so wrong. Like, How, how could I give myself that much power that I could stop that? I can't stop that any more than I can stop a tsunami or an earthquake or gravity. Like we understand like how inseparable we are from the love of God. The empire took its best shot at separating us from the love of God and it failed. And Satan took his best shot at separating from the love of God and it failed. And death took its best shot at separating us from the love of God and it failed. Peter himself tries to deny Jesus, but the love of Jesus will not be denied. And I, I, I acknowledge um, <laughs> I've kind of almost made an idol of uh, of trying to say things that people haven't heard before, and so when I get a message of 
just tell them I love them. I'm like, no, Jesus, it's not enough. <laughs> you got to give me something that people haven't heard. I need to blow the minds of folks that have been in church a long while. And, and somehow that becomes the aim and the distraction rather than that truth of telling people that Jesus loves them. That's, that's the point of all of this. Um, so I thought instead of ending with some clever flourish, I'd, I'd end with this, this prayer that we can all take part in together. Uh, it's a prayer shared by uh, this very wise man, Brad Jersak, who I like a lot. Um, and, and I listened to it on a podcast, first of all, and we've acknowledged that I don't have healthy emotions and I don't express myself well. And this led to me just crying on the subway. <laughs> not a thing that happens often. So I'm going to do my best to share the way that he shares. So however you best receive, and, and for most people that probably will be with your, with your eyes closed, maybe with your hands out, I'm going to, I'm going to encourage you to, to move into that posture now. And just remember who God is. So let's, yeah, let's, let's pray. Let's remember that God is love. And so utterly and ridiculously, unfathomably generous that everything he has belongs to you. That the love of God is so radically forgiving. Nothing can stop it. remember that that Jesus suffers with us too. Jesus knows what it is to hurt. He knows physical pain. He has mental pain. He knows emotional pain. He's experienced it. That's the kind of love which has been extended to us now. And, and this love lives in you if, if we just want to experience it. And so if you, if you want to say, okay, I'm, I'm willing to surrender myself to that kind of love. I'm willing to surrender myself to that kind of care. If, if that's what Jesus really is, that's, that's what I want. If even at my worst, that love has been extended, I'm ready for it. This kind of love that plundered hell find us? Are we able to surrender ourselves to him? If you could meet him anywhere, where would that be? Imagine being there now. And how does Jesus come to you? Is it father or friend or brother or healer? or king. Let's open the eyes of our heart. Jesus comes into our hearts for a visit and says, this is, this is where I want to be. This is where I want to live. And as you look at Jesus, What's the expression that you see on his face right now? As he looks at you, what are his eyes saying? 
remember, they communicate good news. What's that good news message to you today? Maybe you hear better than you see. That's okay. Jesus has been speaking to you your whole life. What's that one line that he needs you to hear right now? Jesus, what's the good news? There's no sign-ups. There's no altar call. There's no hands in the air. This is just a a chance to receive some love from the one who loves us so much. Abba, Father, Jesus, Son of God, Holy Spirit, with your fiery love, I pray you bless everyone. Lay your wounded hands on our burden. Pull them away and pour in love and light. Help us let stuff go. Jesus, draw out those toxins into the of the wounds and purify them. Jesus, we pray, pour in your healing love. And right now, to say amen is to say, I accept this love. And so, in Jesus' name, we say amen.